Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful because I'm sitting with Ryan Hawk today. And let me just tell you, today is an amazing day. I know I normally say that, but I'm telling you today, you are going to elevate your leadership. You are going to see how curious you can get. You are going to understand the regimented nature of an individual who is not only impacting so many other people, but he's impacting the quality of his life and he's designing the quality of his life through going from good to great as a leader and really learning in public and really chasing that curiosity and not being egocentric and learning and changing your ideas and changing your mind. Because today you're going to learn how to do that yourself. Today you're going to learn what it means to be curious and why that's so important and what that means in terms of how you're crafting your team and how you're leading your team and how you're taking them from where you are to where you want to be and where they want to be as well. And thinking about how is this impacting everyone? Because if you want to do big things in real estate, if you want to do big things in your life, it's not going to happen alone. It's going to happen with other people who can help you get to the how, who can help you visualize and, and really direct those outcomes. Because you know what, if you want to play small, you can certainly do some things on your own. But if you want to play big, if you want to go big, today is a show for you. And I want to encourage you to really buckle up and really take notes because today's an amazing day. I want to welcome you back to the show where we take we sit down for mind-expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. Are you ready to take it to another level? I have no doubt we're going to do that today. This is for high-performing real estate investors who have a burning desire to be even higher performing. It is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And of course, today with Ryan Hawk, we will distill the mindset, habits, routines, systems, tools, strategies, and so much more from an individual like Ryan who is elevating to a life without limits. And he's doing the same for other people around him in such a big way so that you can do the same and even more for yourself. Of course, this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth through real estate investing, and most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you are enjoying Elevate, I just want to thank you so much for coming back. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you so much for sharing because we are bringing the heat and we're going to continue to do so. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, we would be extremely grateful if you subscribe to the show, if you gave us a rating, a review, it helps uh, as we continue to spread our message that you do not have to live a life that you tolerate. You can live a life of unlimited abundance through personal growth, through personal mastery, through leadership, through investing in real estate, and through creating practical systems to give you all the options and all the choice that you want in your life. Because I don't know about you, but if you only have one choice, well, then you have none. And so let's give yourself and others around you more options so that you can really live a life of freedom of joy, of excitement, of happiness. And that's what this is all about because we were designed to go big and today we're gonna go big. And with all, with all that said and without further ado, I wanna introduce you to Ryan Hawk, who is a keynote speaker, author, advisor, and the host of The Learning Leader Show, a podcast with millions of listeners in more than 150 countries. He is the author of Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader, which is 
written, uh, it was actually published through McGraw-Hill in January 2020. Forbes called Welcome to Management the best leadership book of 2020. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes of how you can find Welcome to Management. And Ryan is a lifelong student of leadership, and he rose to roles as a professional quarterback and VP of sales at a multi-billion dollar company, currently as the head of Brixie and Myers Leadership Advisory Practice, Ryan speaks regularly at Fortune 500 companies. He works with teams and players in the NFL, NBA, NCAA, and facilitates leadership circles that offers structured guidance and collaborative feedback to new and experienced leaders. So you can learn more about Ryan at learningleader.com. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to this amazing conversation with the great Ryan Hawk. Ryan, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you? Tyler, dude, it's good to be with you. Uh, I'm excited to dig in, man. Yeah, me too. And and uh, I call you my friend like we are friends, but you know, I feel like we just became friends. I mean, I was just telling you, you asked me the best questions that anyone has ever asked me before a podcast episode. <laughs> so I appreciate that, but it comes back to that curiosity that you have. It's just the innate curiosity. Is there any comments that you make on that? Well, I mean, we were, we were, you know, talking about what makes a great host and what makes a great guest. And for me, um, when I agree to either record my own podcast or go on somebody else's show, if we're going to do it, then we might as well try to be awesome at it. So, um, why not get to know each other a little bit? Why not try to think of, think about the way the other person thinks and their approach to the world to try to understand their curiosity a bit. Um, and so for me, I'm curious about how to be an excellent guest for you. Um, and the people who listen to your show. And so it's worth it to spend some time um, on the front end trying to better understand how I could serve you and serve your audience. Because, like I said, if I'm going to do it, like my whole motto with anything is if we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. So if you're going to write a book, then write a book. If you're going to have a podcast, then do a pod. You know what I'm saying? So yes. I think if I'm, gonna, if, if I'm not ready to show up 100% ready to roll with you, then we should either reschedule or cancel. And so I'm here, you're here, let's make it happen. Let's have a good time, you know? No, I love it. And that's that's been my philosophy as well, is if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it great. And I'm going to see it through. And I yeah. think that's a, that's a pattern that we see in a lot of people that we admire, Ryan. But I'd love to really dive into this conversation and really give the audience some context. If your friends or your close family members were to really describe you, how would they do so? And how would we really get to know the real Ryan Hawk? I'd say they, they probably think I'm pretty curious. Um, I'm not really afraid to go deep really quick. Uh, when I meet somebody new for the first time, there's not a lot of small talk. doesn't work with everybody. Not everybody likes that. That's okay. Uh, so I'd, they'd probably describe me as being pretty curious, as being quiet um, and reflective and thoughtful about what I do. And then hopefully they would say I'm purposeful and intentional with how I behave and how I act. I think if you called my wife, Miranda, she'd probably say those things as well as very um, regimented in what I do every day, uh, which is different from her. So I'd say that, that my close friends would probably say those things about me. And at times, some might call me a little crazy with kind of my workout schedule and working schedule. Um, but I don't know, I guess we're all kind of unique in our own way. And, and that's, that's probably what I, I'm thinking you would hear if you talk to them. No, that's really good. And, you know, the curiosity is something that you and I identified very early in our conversation that we shared in common. 
But where did that originate for you? Because for me, I think it was underneath the surface until I read a book that you and I were just talking about, Curious by Ian Leslie. Were you have you always been conscious of your curiosity, or did that come out at a certain point in time? No, for me, it's it, I, I um, was not curious kid growing up. I was all, all all I focused on was playing sports, and that went through college. And I was um, I'm grateful for the fact to be able to go to college. Uh, on a scholarship to play football and that um was uh, a great part of my life uh, but um i would say i was just myopically focused on playing on lifting weights on preparing to play um but i didn't really i wasn't really well read i wasn't even a big studier which is a, a probably a regret i would say of of my career where I didn't, I just wanted to play. Like I didn't really enjoy watching film. I did it when I had to, but I didn't do a lot of extra. And that's probably a mistake. I was probably also out of immaturity um, because I really just wanted to play. I was like a 12 year old, right? The 12 year old doesn't want to prepare or do it. They just want to get on the field and play. Um, so I, I like that aspect, but I, as I got older and I got into the, the business world, uh, people started recommending books and things for me to read. I wasn't a big reader e either growing up. And I remember I read Good to Great by Jim Collins. And then uh, years later, I read Give and Take by Adam Grant. And I realized just the power of books and the power of, like, if you actually read a book from cover to cover, I like, think about that. It's not like people claim they read books, but they really don't. A lot of people don't. But if you read like Shoe Dog from cover to cover or, or The Wright Brothers by David McCullough from cover to cover, I mean, you're a different person by the end of those, those books. You're a different person after the after you read Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And I think to me, I, books were the catalyst for me to become a much more curious person because I didn't fully appreciate the power they have over you until I really started digging in and going cover to cover. So I would say that was, that was, that happened later for me. Um, but we all kind of have to figure that out on our own time. There are some kids who just grow up that are really curious. I was not one of them. I became that as I matured a bit. No, that's really interesting. And it, and I can relate in such a high degree because when I started reading more books, I learned that really what I uncovered was a bit of an information gap. When I would read something and I would learn something, I would say, well, wait a minute, there's more that I don't know. So now I need to know that. I need to go find that. I need to go right. research this. I need to go have a conversation with somebody like Ryan Hawk. I need to go learn this. Yeah. And that has become endless for me. It's like this endless reservoir of energy that is so exciting. You know, you talk about traveling to a new place and experiencing a new culture or tasting a new meal or having a new conversation, you know, that's the same for learning as far as I'm concerned. Well, Would you agree to that? Well, the funny part about it is the more you start learning and keep following after your curiosity, the more you realize you don't know. And yeah. so it's this weird dichotomy that you're you're growing, you're learning, you're probably improving your skill set, you're improving your knowledge base, you're becoming a wiser person. And yet, at the same time, you probably question yourself more because you realize as you're growing and learning that there's so much more out there to learn. And I think that's the place I live in every day as I keep learning and trying to better understand what's happening and become a better decision maker 
I realized, man, I don't, there's so much out there that I don't know. And I'm, 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 that's part of what I'm driven to, to, to keep, to keep after, to keep learning, to keep meeting interesting people and having conversations that are deep and dynamic and reading books, things like that, which I think is, is exciting. But in a way you have to, you have to kind of figure that out on your own time because you have to, I think, be intrinsically motivated to want to do those things. And I'm grateful to be in one of those stages right now and have been for years. So let's talk about that intrinsic motivation, because I think that's really important. It's the underlying factor. And it almost seems from the outside looking in that you have this drive about pursuing excellence, right? The identity of pursuing excellence and continuing that pursuit of the constant new evolution or new version of yourself. So where does that come from? And where is that drive really manifested from? Was there anything that you'd say to that? Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly. I, I think it's, it, there is something within uh, my family dynamic, you know, I'm surrounded by, I think, excellence, uh, two incredible parents, two great brothers. Um, they, that I think are, are excellent in their own right for what, what they do. Um, so I think that's a big influence on me. I have the same with my wife, Miranda, who I, who I feel is just, miles ahead of me in so many areas of life that I'm, I'm very grateful for her. So I think I'm, a, it helps that I'm surrounded by that a bit. And then I think, again, as you mature and you start learning in public, as I started doing six years ago with, with my podcast, um, you start receiving feedback from random strangers from all over the world that, that reach out to you to, to tell you how your work has impacted them and when you when you get an email from a farmer in southern illinois who tells you that your podcast is the dinner table conversation with his family uh most nights how could that not fuel you to want to keep getting better how could that not fuel you to want to have more of the the that that type of feedback for me that's the juice like that is fuel when i am able to see the impact on a random person and their family and the kind of ripple effect that you could potentially have, that is a driver for me to want to keep getting better and better and better. So it, so I guess if you had to distill that down, you'd say the impact you can make on people. And to me, that's that's more of a fulfilling life um, is to to find a way to keep improving so that you can better the lives of other people that fuel those notes that will never get old that will that will be a, a, a driving force for me and that makes me feel more fulfilled and, and like purposeful of what i'm trying to do is if, if if it actually makes an impact on people's lives that's really powerful and i wrote down the uh, the phrase that you mentioned learning in public on the podcast uh, because that's really interesting that you say that. I mean, I've been doing this for now about two years myself, and perhaps, you know, there's a lot of learning in public that's happening. And in, in these conversations, there's so much learning. And as we're sharing ideas, I'm sure you're learning as you're, you know, sharing ideas that are coming to your mind as well. But the listeners can also grow from that as well, which is really exciting. But your passion and your drive, obviously, from impacting people to living a fulfilling life by, you know, just really understanding and, and really basking in the giving nature of that has manifested into a huge curiosity and a desire to grow as a leader and to help other leaders grow as well. So where does that come from? And actually, before we get into that, I'm actually curious, this is like the age old question on leadership. Are they born or are they created? Um, well, the, the answer to a lot of these, one or the others is usually it's, it's, it's the world is very messy and gray. And so that's, that's the hedge to say, 
Um, I think if, if, if it's on a scale from, from one side to the other, the answer is a little bit more towards the side of leaders are made, um, not born. I do think there are some things you're born with that could be helpful. Um, but they're, but, but, but more along the lines that, that they're made. So I firmly believe the, the leaders in my life who've been most impactful probably had some innate qualities about them that probably were, were good, but they also were very intentional about becoming a better leader and working on the qualities to help move people and inspire, inspire others to do great work. And so it's probably more on the scale towards that I think leaders are made. So who have been some of the most impactful leaders that you've encountered in your journey? So outside of my my fa- my direct family, I would say um, Bob Gregg and Ron Ollery were my high school football coaches. They believed in me when I was an eighth grader um, that summer going into my freshman season and, and elevated me to the, the, the varsity team where I then um, played and started for four years. Um, th- I got to understand what it meant to prepare, to be resilient, to get up after you get knocked down, um, to show how you as a leader can give confidence to the team by being the most prepared person in the room. I learned that from Ron Oller. He was always the most prepared guy for the practice for each game. And that gave me confidence that our leader was more ready to go than anybody else, including our opponent or, or anyone in that regard. And I, I learned through seeing him do that, that that's how I could give confidence um, and inspire the people that I would I would be leading, at, both as a quarterback on the team and then later in the business world. And so I would say those are the first two people that come to mind that have had a significant impact. I mean, I'm lucky to still regularly converse with Coach Allery, and we had a dinner a few months ago where we talked a lot about this. So I'd say that's where I first learned what, what being a, an excellent leader is all about. Yeah, that's really, that's really inspiring. And you think about preparation. I mean, some of the people that I most admire in this world, if I'm ever asking them, hey, how can I get better in my craft? Or how can I be more effective? I've found that the pattern is preparation. It's more preparation, it's more effective preparation, it's more precise preparation, it's anticipation. And then also you mentioned being resilient. I mean, two factors that are obviously very important for real estate investors, people who are, you know, working in an environment that's very dynamic and changing, right? There's winds that are blowing in every direction. And so preparation and resilience, because when you step onto that quote unquote field, right, what you prepared for may not always play out the way that you planned. Rarely. So how resilient are you going to be? So what other what other lessons have you learned or did you learn maybe from those early mentors that you're continuing to carry, carry forward today? Well, I also learned to work. Um, I, I mean, and how work can lead to confidence. So I was a skinny five foot 11 guy going into high school. Um, fortunately grew a few inches when I was in high school and, 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 but I, I learned the value of the fact that my work in the weight room and on the practice field is what led me to feel good when the lights were brightest. And so whether you're going to go on on a stage now in front of a thousand people to give a speech, I will feel much more confident if I've put the necessary work in so that when I get on stage, I can just let it fly. It's just like when I was playing, you don't, as a, as a quarterback, you don't want to have to be thinking too much. You almost want it to become just intuitive to you that you just, 
you 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 read and react and make plays in the moment without having to really think. You see your receiver, you just want to let it go and throw the deep ball. The same thing can be true when you're giving a speech or working with a leadership team or, or running a podcast, whatever it may be. I want to be so prepared and have done the necessary work leading up to the big moments that when the moments and I'm when I'm in the moment of them happening, I just let it go because all of that work leading up to that. And so I learned from from them that if you do enough of that work on the front end when nobody's watching, right? There's there nobody knows how much work you put into it leading up to it but they'll see the result when the lights are on. And I think I try to take that to every big event, every big moment, uh, every big engagement that I have now is that if I do the necessary work, when the lights turn on, uh, I'll be ready to go and I'll be able to confidently walk on that stage and, 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 and wow the crowd because I've done the work leading up to that moment. I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, it really makes me think about public speaking or giving a presentation. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm so much less nervous when I know where I'm going, when yeah. I can anticipate what may happen and I can anticipate different circumstances occurring and I can be flexible. I can be in the flow instead of just feeling so rigid or regimented or not feeling like I have a good handle on the material. So I think there's so much power in that. And then I'd love to really know, I mean, if you were to look back as well, and I'm sure there were encounters with leaders that you weren't as highly impressed with, or they didn't leave as much of a mark on you. Is there any factors that you saw from folks that maybe weren't as impactful or effective as leaders as you grew up, whether it was athletics or otherwise? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a boss or two who um, were command and control, cynical, did not lead with trust, um, skeptical of people. Uh, thought people were out to cheat them or steal all the time. And, you, you know, the, the bummer about those types of people is they usually are that way for a reason. Either they've led a life where people have done that to them or they do that themselves or both. And that's more of a bummer um, for them because that's just, those are not people that I'm going to work with for long. Um, I will do it until I, until I, uh, I, I, I will do my best to get to exit from situations like that. So I've had, had a boss or two that led like that. Um, sometimes they can get some short-term results, uh, depending on what you're doing, but over the long term, there's no, there's no chance that that's going to work. Um, it, I have seen some people have some moderate levels of success versus their goals at a, at a corporation by being that type of stand on the table and yell at you and not trust you and, 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 and be, make it about them. Um, but you know, I would rather not. Uh, life's too short, uh, I think, to to work for a person like that or be around those. And so, in those moments, I remember talking with my dad a lot about these. And it was in it was in the middle of one of those sessions where I was working for somebody like that, and he just said, "Just think about what you're going to learn from this. You're not going to be with this person for forever or for that long. Write down what you can learn from this person about what not to do, and 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 view it as a learning moment so that it doesn't feel as bad as you're going through it." And knowing that one day you'll be able to look back, hopefully smile a little bit and know like, this is what we shouldn't do. And, you know, here we are now we're doing that very thing right now. So I, I, there are people listening right now that are probably dealing with that and it's a bummer. Um, and it's not always going to be that way, but try your best to learn from those people. And usually it's, it's obviously of learning what, what not to do. And that can be helpful. That can be helpful because you may be in that position someday and we don't want to be that type of a person. You know, I got to, an exercise given me by my first ever boss. He was a VP of sales at LexisNexis named Rex Caswell. And he's like, hey, 
I think you're going to be in a leadership role someday. And I was in an entry level sales job, a cubicle smile and dial type job. And he's like, look, take out a sheet of paper, like in a notebook, write a line right down the middle of that piece of paper. On the left side, I want you to write down all of the great stuff that your manager does that's inspiring, that's helpful, that you really like. And on the right side, I want you to write down all the bad things to do, the things you don't like, the things that aren't, aren't helpful, the things that make you not want to work at this place or this job. Just write them all down. Because one day when you get a job like that, I want you to look at that notebook and see if you're the type of person who's doing left, left hand column stuff or right hand column stuff. And if you find yourself doing some of the right hand column stuff, we got to stop and talk about that. So uh, I've done that. And I now I've made that a Google Doc, but I think that's been that's been a useful practice for me to do. And I think others can do it too, so that you don't become the person that you, you despise, because sometimes you can forget as you move up the ranks. That's a really good exercise. I like that. You know what it's coming to my mind is the, I don't know if you've ever seen the meme where you've got the leader who's like pulling the team and it's like slave yeah. driver and it's like pulling and it's doing all this stuff. And then you have the leader who's letting the team, you know, drive motivation from within. And I think this conversation is so important because, you know, anybody who's listening is a real estate investor who is a high performing real estate investor knows that if you want to scale, if you want to grow, it comes through building a team because this is a team sport. And so I think that's why it's so important, but it comes down to that internal motivation. It's not, hey, I can't make you do anything, but we've got to have a shared vision to be able to get to where we want to go. And I think it's really important. And so one thing that like we started this conversation with you talking about how you're quiet a little bit, reflective, and then purposeful in action. I would imagine that you're cerebral as well. And you think about how the most impactful leaders think. So could you talk a little bit about that? And obviously we talked about some of the good, the bad, the ugly of your background and what you've experienced. But now that you've spent more time as an expert in leadership training, as well as a leader yourself, how do the best leaders think? Well, first and foremost, they do. Um, and that <laughs> should go, I, that should not be go, go without saying, uh, again, picture that bad boss you've worked for in your life, and they probably are not that thoughtful. I think being a thoughtful person is one of the best compliments I could ever receive. Um, and certainly one that I give to others who are, um, so as far as how they think I just, I, in my opinion, the ones that seem to have the highest levels of self-awareness and understanding of self of strengths of weaknesses are people who regularly spend time in reflection, people who regularly spend time documenting their thoughts. Usually they write, um, they're, they're, they're regularly working on holding up a mirror really close to their face. I say that metaphorically, but you know what I mean, where they're, 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 they're constantly saying, why am I doing this? Uh, am I acting with purpose? Uh, what's the reasoning behind this? And so the, the two of the commonalities among leaders who are sustaining excellence, who are thoughtful people is one, they, they are thoughtful and reflective each day. And two, when they decide then to do something, they act with purpose and intention. And so they don't just wander around crossing their fingers haphazardly hoping for the best. They are thoughtful and reflective about what they choose to do. And then when they choose to go, like I said, they go and it's and there's a purpose behind it. So those are the types of people I like to hang out with. Those are the ones I like to talk to that I can tell they've put thought into it. Um, you know, we all know those people who, who just kind of wander around and, and, and good things seem to happen. That's great. I would, I, I prefer, uh, the ones who have more purpose and intention behind it. Cause I think over the long haul, that gives me the greatest odds of things going well. 
And so that's, that's what I try to do. My sense is that the greatest leaders are those who do work on themselves. It was funny as you responded to the initial question, you were saying, well, first of all, they think, right? I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, what a, what a concept, right? We think. And uh, there are a lot of people who don't really spend a lot of time in thought, but thinking about investing in yourself and investing in your own self-awareness and also being reflective of what are you learning and how are you distilling that? What do you believe is true and what is not true? And how would you like to share that with your team? And how would you like to communicate to others? So what you're saying essentially is that these people are willing to invest in themselves and they're willing to change their thinking. They're willing to update their mindset. They're willing to update their approach and recognize that perhaps what they did yesterday was a great try or it was a great effort, but now they can improve and they can grow. Is that what you're saying, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, I, I just spoke with someone named Julia Galef who wrote the scout mindset and Julia told me, you know, we, we should assume that we're wrong and each day we're trying to be less wrong. And, um, I, I try to approach it that way. Like, how can I be less wrong today than I was yesterday? Like, how am I expanding my mind? Who am I talking to? Who's impacting me? It doesn't mean that I don't have beliefs or it doesn't mean that I, I don't, there's not things that I think to be true. Um, it just means I'm open if when better evidence presents itself to changing my mind. And um, certainly I, I think, I think the, the mark of a strong leader is the willingness to, to, to have an open mind to uh, look for facts and to look for evidence that that proves whatever you currently believe might not be the case or it might not be 100% right. It could be like 80%. So I, I think that's, that's a big part part to when I think about leaders who are really impactful is that they have a mind like that, where they're constantly striving to find better answers or better ways to go about doing whatever it is that they do and, and a willingness um, because the, the egocentric leader that has all the answers, they don't do that. They don't read the books. They don't have an open mind. It's my way. This works. We've always done it this way. That's the, you know, those are the things that, that they say. And, um, to me, if there's probably a criticism of my leadership is that I'm just too much on the other end of the spectrum of like, well, I'm not sure. I guess we'll see. Let's try this. Oh, I don't know. You know, and at times though, you do have to be decisive and make a decision. And I would say if there's a criticism that I've received from close friends is that dude, at some point, at some point, you've just got to state your state, what you think and go instead of thinking like, well, I'm not sure if this is right or not. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, there are, there are, there are issues there at times that I've, I realize I have to work on as well to, to say, okay, this is what I think right now. So this is the way we're going to go. Let's take action as opposed to saying like, oh, I'm not sure, uh, because there can be some problems there too. Yeah, there's a paradox in everything. And it's sure. almost as like, you know, you look at two sides of the coin, and there's one side where you get too far on the, all right, we've got a little bit of analysis paralysis, because we're constantly updating our beliefs and our up, you know, our, our, our perspective, to a point where we're never going to take action. Um, but I think the willingness to take action and say, hey, you know what, we can evolve still as we go is maybe mm -hmm. the approach. But I think, you know, it's really interesting thinking about your story, because you described kind of coming up as a quarterback, and that you just wanted to play. You didn't want to do film study. You didn't want to study the playbook. You didn't want to prep. You wanted to go out there and play. And now you've gotten to a point where you're on the other end of the spectrum to where you're over -prepare preparing to a certain degree, maybe to a high degree in a great way. I mean, yeah. talk about that because now you're, you know, your brand is the learning leader, right? At the end of the day, that's what you're all about is about learning and how you can continue to grow as a leader. So how did that pendulum swing so far in this direction? I just think you mature, uh, or, or I matured, I guess. I think 
as you grow up, you, you kind of figure some things out, you grow up a little bit, um, some maturity comes, comes in and you get to help with some uh, mentors and books. And it's, it's like, a, like, a, like normally it's a confluence of events and you, and you start realizing more and more, um, how to better operate and, and f- for, for me, preparation, I mean, I, I would say from a football sense, I did like to prepare in the weight room. I did. I liked, I wanted to get every rep on the practice field, right. That was playing. So those are all forms of preparation. So it's just, there are different aspects of it that I liked to do and parts of it that I didn't like to do, but certainly I loved like strengthening my body in the weight room. I loved the, the lifting aspects. I love practice as far as once it was time to get reps, I wanted all of them. Um, and then certainly I love the games. Now it's just a little different in the fact of my life, my working life, if as just, it's funny, I was one on a walk with my wife, Miranda yesterday and, and, and and why, how my job and my life is just different than a lot of people's. It's just a series of big events. And then everything in between is getting ready for the big event. (laughs) That's it. So like, I don't have normal days. I have, I have a, a podcast interview or a keynote speech, or I'm working with a big leadership team. Well, all of those are really big moments and big events that I've got to be at an, at an A plus level, but in between, I'm just getting ready for those moments. So like the, my life is, it's, it's never really a static thing. It's like a real big high of up here recording or speaking or whatever. And then in between it looks like downtime to some, but really it's just getting ready for the next one. And I, I, I in a way I kind of like it. It's like in football, you have a game, one game a week and like everything steers towards that one game. So it's like you play the game and then after that game, you're getting ready for the next one. And that, in a way that's kind of how I design what I do, even though that's not necessarily intentional, but that's kind of how it's worked itself out. And it's kind of cool. And then, you know, you have the big moment, the speech or whatever, and you're kind of nervous and you give it. And then afterwards you get to, <laughs> for like five seconds and then you're like all right wait what's the next what's the next big thing and then you're getting ready for that so that's kind of like the funny part about what i what i do now hey guys just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show this episode of elevate is brought to you by cf capital and you know how much i love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life which is really why we created cf capital it's a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow capital appreciation and a margin of safety for our investors for our partners and for the people that we serve our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I wanna invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. 
No, that's really cool. And uh, I got to give a shout out to my wife now, Katie, because you've given Miranda a few shout outs. So big (laughs) shout out to the wives who support us and uh, support our crazy lives. But I think it is really interesting. And and really what I've kind of observed is that ultimately what you do for a living is you're a learning machine, right? You're preparing for the big events. You're showing up, you're learning during those events. You're imparting that wisdom. You're willing to update. You're willing to evolve. So talk to me a little bit about what is being a learning machine all about? So the phrase originally comes from Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's um, longtime business partner. Um, and and I kind of tr- tried to create my own form of a learning machine uh, process or flywheel, if you will. So every day from a learning machine perspective, there needs to be four things that happen for me. One, I need to fuel my intake engine. I fuel that with books, articles, podcasts, TED Talks, whatever. That's that's fueling the knowledge goes in, and that's just a continual process. Two, though, you can't just be a learner. You've got to be a doer. And so look at your life as a series of experiments. So if I got, again, we're talking about speaking now. So if I got a speech coming up, maybe I will experiment with a new story, a new opener, a new transition, a new closer. That's that I've learned from that intake engine. So one's constant in knowledge coming in. That's that's fueling the engine. Two, having the mind of someone who's going to experiment and actually put it into play. Three, I need to take a step back, reflect, think, as we've talked about earlier. Right. That that that's critical to analyze what's going. What went right of my experience or experiments? What went wrong? What should I keep doing? What should I stop doing? So that you you're you're regularly updating how you operate. And then four, and I think really important and why I've got into the speaking world and helping with leadership teams is put yourself in the position to be a teacher. Because I think teaching is one of the greatest learning tools in the world. Because when you get up on a stage or you have a solo podcast or even a podcast with a guest and you're going to share your knowledge, when you are are acting in the when when you're in the act of trying to help others by sharing what you know with them you got to get clear on what you think and what you believe if you're going to write a book i'll tell you from the from now doing it a few times that the process of actually getting your thoughts down on the page with the intention to help other people is much more difficult than I would have anticipated because you say, okay, I'll write about hiring. Okay. I, my first book's on management. I'll write about hiring. I know all about hiring. And then you get down to write about hiring. Like, wait a second. What do I know? What do I think about hiring in the process of having to write a chapter about it in a book? So much learning happens in the mode of putting yourself as a teacher, you teach as a writer, you teach from stage, you teach literally in a classroom. And so I think the, 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 one of the really important parts to becoming a learning machine is just regularly putting yourself in the position of a teacher. And for any person can do this. You can, you can write blog posts, you can write a book, you can, you can do solo podcast episodes, you can uh, go guest lecture at your local university, you can go be a substitute, te- whatever, whatever it may be, put yourself in the position to teach your topic. I bet like if I asked you, I'm like, Tyler, I don't know that much about real estate investing, um, I want to know more. And this is actually an honest thing for me. Um, can you can you give me real estate investing 101? And I bet even though you're well past 101, you would learn through the thought of like, all right, I want to help Ryan out because I'm a good guy. 
I want to teach him and maybe get help, have him like help him with his very first real estate investment. I bet the process of you preparing to help me, you would learn, even though you're well beyond 101. You know what I mean? So that's why it's good to regularly put yourself in the position of being a teacher because you're going you're gonna to continue to update your own knowledge base. And then I'll give you feedback after you teach me and you'll go, oh, that's right. Yeah, I need it. Let me tweak that a little bit in what I'm teaching the next guy because I didn't think about that question because I'm well past real estate one-on-one. So anyway, that's that's part of what I think is being a learning machine. It's so good. And I've learned that when I am a teacher, I learn almost more or as much as the person that I'm teaching or coaching. Yeah. And I just think it's so powerful because it clears your mind. It clarifies your mind and your thinking, because if you can clearly explain something to a five-year-old or a fifth grader or whatever you want to call it, then you clearly understand it. And so that's a test, right? Is it, It's a test of how clear do you understand the subject? And maybe there's some more curiosity that we need to be driven to go do some more research to make sure that we're sharing our knowledge in a clear capacity. Is there anything that you would add to that, Ryan? I mean, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm so dead on with that because you can tell when someone knows somewhat about it because they try to use big jargon and words and they uh, sound smart versus the person who really knows it. And they'll speak to me like I'm talking to a 12 year old. <laughs> um, and, and, and so for you to me, that's how I would need you to talk to me about real estate in this fact, because I don't know the acronyms. I don't know anything about it. I've never done it. If you're going to try, like, if you're going to speak in jargon and terms that you could talk about with other real estate professionals, that's not helpful to me. That's not helpful at all. And I'm starting to think, like, does he really know his stuff if he's trying to sound <laughs> smart? Like, you can, the, some of the most, I think, the people who who know whatever their stuff the best, like, for example, one of my all-time favorite writers is Tim Urban. Have you ever read Tim Urban's stuff? On I have no. Okay, you'll, you're about to go down a rabbit hole and you'll thank me later, but he's he is one of the best writers in the world. Waitbutwhy.com is where Tim Urban writes. And maybe you can get him on your show. He's, he's really good. Tim does the work to, to become beyond a master of whatever he's writing about first. He does all of that first, and then he writes the article about it. And he writes it so that literally... He could take one of the most complex ideas in the world and a 12-year-old would understand every single word of what he's writing. And it's funny on top of that. It's that good. Tim, to me, is a master when it comes to communication and the written word. And I think that's what we all should strive for is if we're going to try to teach somebody else, like do it in a language that doesn't try to make yourself sound smart. It tries to be helpful for the other person. Um, because we, we all know the people on the ends of those spectrums who speak at a level where like, dude, I can't understand what you're saying. That's not helpful to me versus the one who knows like, no, I can speak at any level. Cause I really know what I'm talking about when it comes to this topic. Yeah. That's really interesting how our conversation has come a bit full circle. Cause you were asking me some of my favorite guests that we've had on the show. And I mentioned one being Seth Godin. And the reason why was because he's such a clear communicator and a simple communicator, profound in his words. It's not no filler words, you know, it's straight to the point and it's very impactful. And yep. he's a great, clear thinker as a result of his introspection, as a result of his continued reflection and his daily intake and his experimentation it, and his reflection and thinking time. Go ahead. The thing about Seth too, Seth writes every day, right? So I think... I almost, I don't think, no, think it matters what your profession is. Having a process of getting thoughts from your mind to the page, whether you type it or you write it, I don't think it matters. But getting thoughts from your mind to the page 
is a worthy investment of your time. I don't see any downside from having some sort of daily journal. And in his case, he publishes it. If you publish it, great, whatever. I think uh, the process of getting thoughts out of your mind onto a page that make that 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 forces some clarity of thought, that is a good practice for any person to uh, to subscribe to, I think. That's a good challenge for me to course correct and get back to that. And and I, I'm sure many of the listeners as well. But are there any other rituals or routines that you found are really, really important for you on a daily basis? So that's a big one is documenting what I'm thinking in a daily type of a journal. I do it electronically. I can do it on my phone. I can do it on my computer. I think for me, it's just a, it's a, a way to do that. Um, again, this is a personal one to me, but I'm, I, I need to physically push myself every day. It helps me mentally. And I like doing that early in the morning. So I would just say for, for me, you get one body. Um, if your body stops working, um, then nothing else really matters. So uh, you're not going to be of use to many people or yourself. So to me, I'm going to try to take care of my body. Um, you know, I like to have pizza parties on Friday night with with my family. So I need to I need to work that. I like I need to be working out hard. So uh, not only for the the dietary part of it, but uh, also just for my mental health. I I need to be pushing myself physically, and that makes me feel better. Uh, mentally for the day, as well as I just want to try to increase my odds of my body staying healthy. There's only so much I can control. So with with that, I want to try to control what what's within my power. And I can make the choice to go to the gym, to run, to walk, to do those things. So I try to, I, I'm fortunate to have a body to be able to do that now. I'm just going to try, I'm just trying to, to, to keep, keep that. So for me, I think we all should think about how we're like, what are we doing to take care of ourselves, both physically and mentally? And sometimes it's the same activity that, that takes care of both. And in, in my case, it is. Yeah. And I've found that to be a, you know, kind of a keystone habit, uh, as a, as a business leader, as a high performance real estate investor, you know, that to me also is highly important so that I can sit here and have a conversation with you and be focused and not be thinking about, you know, all these other things. I don't know about you, but I can be more focused when I train my body and yep. I can treat my body like a high performance athlete. And I know many of the listeners can relate to that, but it's a great reminder for us as well, because when you make that type of investment, it can be a domino that pays dividends in so many different directions. So what a great, great reminder. Ryan, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. Can we I ask you a couple of real estate questions before? Absolutely. Bring it on, man. Let's do what, it. What, so uh, I'm a novice. I've never invested in real estate in my life other than buying the house that I live in, right? I have a, yeah, that's, that's it. What, what, for someone, I am curious about this though, and think like I should diversify instead of just having my financial advisor invest in the markets, which is what we do. But what, like, how would someone like me who could 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 do something in this world, like what what should I even start thinking about? How do I get in the right frame of mind to say, oh, I like to do a little real estate investing? Like, where do I even begin? I have no idea. Well, it's so good that you asked this. And by the way, I love that you turned the tables on me here. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll practice what we're preaching here. But <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the first thing to realize is that the words real estate are the most broad words, maybe yep. in the English language in so many different ways. When I got into real estate eight years ago, I thought of real estate as houses, single family homes. That's what I knew about real estate. But what I didn't realize is that there are buildings all over us. There's raw pieces of land that are also considered real estate. And so 
you know, when I think about investing in real estate, what I look at is income producing real estate, right? And so obviously you can be a speculator and you can buy a house or a piece of land and say, I think that's going to go up in value over the next few years. And perhaps you may be right, but that perhaps is maybe a little bit more of a gamble, right? Or maybe you buy a house and, or, you know, another piece of property and say, Hey, I'm going to fix this up. And I think that when this is fixed up, there's going to be a market for a higher value. And there's going to be a spread based on the investment that I make, not only in the purchase, but in the materials and in the labor of that investment. So that would be more of kind of flipping, right? So mm -hmm. that's your other piece of the, uh, the spectrum there. Or you can go in and you can say, all right, well, there's all these other asset classes within real estate, whether it's residential or commercial. You know, you've got multifamily real estate, which would be apartments. That's what I invest in. Uh, you've got industrial real estate, warehouses, distribution centers, uh, so on and so forth. You've got flex space, which is really kind of warehouse and office mixed together. You've got office real estate. You've got retail. You've got mixed use. You've got so you all do these apartments. You do apartments. I do. Why? Why apartments? Um, well, really, you know, I, I, it's funny because I got lucky when I got into the industry. I got referred to a group who was selling apartments and they wanted me to sell their properties. I actually got involved in the business as a as an agent. Oh. And um, so I got a little bit lucky and I stumbled into it. But I found that it's a, you know, if you think about it, people always need a place to live, right? Sure. They need a place to live. And of course, 2020 was a great reminder that, you know, some of the luxuries perhaps may be done away with if, you know, necessity calls, right? And so, People have always needed a place to live. And we found that that demand driver is a safety factor for our investments, right? And so when times get tough, people buy their, their, their food and water and they pay for their shelter. And so that's what we really like about that from a risk perspective. But I, you know, I started investing in multifamily about six years ago and have continued to grow and scale, but that's really been my niche. And so I would suggest for anyone like yourself, if you're wanting to get involved in real estate, is to first educate yourself, ask these type of questions, learn, grow, and then take action. Exactly what you were talking about in terms of being a learning machine. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's easy to say, all right, well, I can go buy a house and put a tenant in there. And I can say, all right, well, how can I add value to this resident? And how can I create a spread between my expenses and you know the income that I generate? And so that's a great way to kind of get started. But, you know, you could also get started bigger. I mean, at the end of the day, what I believe is that the only thing that holds us back is our belief of what is possible. Mm -hmm. And so I believe if you really want to get started in real estate, it's about believing that you can go a little bit bigger by also surrounding yourself with advisors, mentors, and a team to help <laughs> you execute. And that's why I think this, this conversation is so important because it's not going to be all you, right? You're going to have a CPA, you're going to have a property manager, you're going to have a general contractor, you're probably going to have a team of other contractors, subcontractors, and so to speak, you know, a legal team and all of these other things, perhaps even an internal team that you build as you scale. But um, that's really a high level of it, but happy to go in any further. I love this question. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll have, a. I don't want to take up all of our time here. I, I'm just, I'm curious about it. I think when you look at, uh, I look at like wealth in the world, there's always part of that is made up of real estate. That's just a fact of like a hundred percent of, of wealthy yeah. people. So I, I, I am not really in that space. And part of the reason is just lack of education and, and that's on me. So part of no, it is good to, you know, well, and here's the other thing too, is that, you know, you can take it a step further and you can say, I can either actively purchase real estate myself and really be the landlord and put the team together where, whether it's a property management team, or maybe I manage myself, or 
I can participate with other professionals, right? I can be a passive investor. Do you do any of that? Yes. And so that's what we do. That's all you do. That's what we do. And so we buy larger apartments and, you know, busy professionals partner with us. And so they're in a passive capacity. And then you you have like like a little fee or a spread there. Correct. Yeah. So what we do is it's syndication. And so what we do is we buy apartments and we invest our own capital and then we partner with other investors as well so that they can share in the benefits of owning direct real estate without all the headaches, right? Because apartments, you know, the good thing is that it's fairly low risk because of the things I just described to you. Is there still a pretty good return on that though? Like, would that be like, how is that better than just having it sit in the, in the markets with my financial advisor? Like, how do you make that call between where am I going to put my money? Because here it can compound at seven, eight, who knows, percent year over year. And that can be powerful after 10 years, that compounding growth, it's huge versus something like this. Yeah. So obviously you want to talk to your, 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 your professional financial advisor, but in my opinion, the upside is greater in real estate. And obviously depending on different stocks and all these different things, but you also get great tax benefits for providing housing that the IRS wants us to do, right? The IRS wants us to provide housing. And so there's huge tax benefits. And I mean, as far as, you know, compounding interest and all these things, of course, that's one of the greatest forces in the world. And you, you love Charlie Munger, which I do as well. And obviously he's a huge proponent of that. And in real estate in particular, I mean, we're typically looking to achieve an internal rate of return or an overall quote unquote return on investment somewhere in the 15 to 20% range over the life cycle of the investment. And so, you know, it's in general, but we're always striving for that and nothing is guaranteed as you know, and nothing is guaranteed in any investment, but um, yeah, that's, that's typically how we look at it. And typically in these deals, there's a preferred return to passive investors in our deals. And so the passive investor will get paid before the general partners do. And so that's a beautiful hmm. way to be able to compound not only a cash flow, but also the upside of those deals as well. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I love to learn more. Again, I don't want to get, take up more of your podcast time <laughs> following my curiosity with it, but I, I am. So maybe you can email me and we could talk afterwards too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's a great question. It's important because I know a lot of people have that question as well. So, hey, you know what? We'll do this again and we'll continue this conversation. But until then, let's transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. You are exhibiting your innate curiosity in so many different ways right now. So I appreciate you living what you teach. And so I'd love to know a few things, Ryan. What's the, if you were to point to two or three of the most impactful books you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Um, the Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Uh, so I live in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, where are you, by the way? I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. We're not too oh, far away. I was just there at a volleyball tournament last weekend with my nice. daughter. So, okay. Um, Dayton, Ohio. The Wright Brothers are from Dayton, Ohio. Their bicycle shop is right down the street from where I currently live. Um, that book. So there's a there's kind of a, it feels a little personal to me, but I would say David McCullough is, is a, an unbelievable writer, a great storyteller. Um, but what a story of, of three people. So Orville, Wilbur and Catherine, their sister who doesn't get a, a nearly enough pub, although she does in that book, um, of, you know, fighting against people in uh, not fighting, but competing in a way with others who are more supported, who have more funding, both at home here in the United States, as well as abroad, especially in Europe, where there were people, um, and those guys did it. Um, they did it through work. They did it through trial and error. They did it through, um, 
huge adversity, including people dying when they were testing flights. So, I mean, so much that went into it. So I would say for anyone who's trying to do anything of significance, like you said, like to think really big, like it was absolutely crazy to think you could fly something when they were doing it and they did it. And they just had a bicycle shop here in Dayton where they were thinking of ideas and they'd go down to Kitty Hawk and test them out on the sand dune. So um, I'd say the Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Another one that I really love is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, one, just, just the brilliance of Abraham Lincoln. And again, you talk about having the willingness to change your mind and having an open mind and then not necessarily feeling like you have to, to, to crush your competitors. And in fact, you do the opposite where you hire them to work with you. Um, and on top of that, Doris Kearns Goodwin is how good, I don't know if you read any of her work yet, but man, if you haven't, you are in for a treat because she is just such an amazing storyteller. So those are two I think people could start with. But we're both history. I didn't care at all about history when I was younger, and now I love it. So again, another area to mature is when you start learning about historical significance and the people and their stories. And then you were lucky to have these amazing storytellers who can put those down in a book and it costs us like 15, 20 bucks. It's the greatest bargain in the history of civilization is the cost of a book. It's amazing. So uh, uh, I'm all about buying books and, 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 and reading them and even buying books that I, that I haven't read or maybe never will, but I think it's still worth it. Yeah, Brian, you know, I'm, I don't know why I'm getting chills right now, but I am <laughs> because you were talking about it earlier when you said you are a different person when you close the end of a book and you read a new book. And it, it's amazing. It is amazing when you compound that. We we're talking about compounding interest just a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And you think about the compounding interest of that continued transformation and uh, inspiring, you know, thinking about the Wright brothers. And I'll definitely have to check out Team of Rivals as well. We'll put links oh, in the show notes. Yeah. To, uh, both of those amazing books. I'm with you too. History is like not something the subject didn't really inspire me growing up as a kid. But man, I tell you what, a biography like blows me away. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, both of those are kind of bio they are essentially biographies. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think sometimes you just need to mature and grow up. Yeah. Um, uh, we I talked to my daughters about books and stuff. They're just like I was like, I don't, I don't <laughs> do that. You know, they don't read my own book. Like, oh, I don't care about that. It's boring. You know, I, it's good though. It keeps you humble too. Uh, it's good, but yeah, it just takes time, I think. And that's okay. That's why I try to take it easy on people. If they're like not in the space yet, it's like, Hey, it's okay. You know, maybe they'll grow into it. It's, it's okay. Like judgment-free zone here. Let's, you know, it's okay. That's a good reminder as well. Judgment-free zone. We should all be practicing that. Yeah. Because, you know, you it's know. like everyone just like gets at things at different times and maybe it's not the right moment or they have other things going on in their life. They have tough challenges they're dealing with. There does come from a place of privilege to be able to sit down and read books for a while. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I realize that too. And so, um, yeah, that's okay. It, it, it's okay. I mean, if I can inspire people to, to, to just crack it open or something like that's cool. I'm good with that. And if they can't finish or they got other life happening, that's okay. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll come back to it later. No, I couldn't, I could not agree more. So Ryan, outside of our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Well, we've talked about a lot of those things. I mean, I think one of the biggest ways a person could elevate their life, not to, harp on it too much because we joked about it earlier, but um, I think your who is everything. Um, most importantly, your life partner is number one. Um, if you get that right and you're, and, and you're in a relationship that you push each other, you lift each other up, you support them, you're cheering for them when things go well, you got their back when things are rough, 
Um, they, they, they're there for you. They, uh, believe in you, you believe in them. Like there's nothing, there's nothing. That's the, that is, I think the ultimate superpower a person can have is their who, and most notably the, the who, the one person who you choose to partner with, if you choose to partner with somebody. And I think for me, um, that's a huge part of it for me when I talk about Miranda and, and then, and then very lucky just to have a group of, of, of close friends and peers that are willing to tell me the truth and help me out. And I try to do the same for them. And so I think if, if there's a way to elevate your life, start with who, uh, be very intentional. Another thing that I probably wasn't that intentional about earlier on, I was like, ah, whatever, you know, I was probably more selfish, you know, thought about it. Like, what can I get out of this? Versus saying how if if I if I'm regularly trying to help out with my friends and my wife and the people around me and be a value add to them, it really it really seems to make things go. Uh, when you have that kind of posture of trying to help them, that they you know they probably want to do the same for you, and 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 good things seem to happen because we all are the sum of our experiences. And so if I get to tap into some of the experiences of other people by trying to be helpful for them. Man, we're, we're we, our chances uh, are a lot better of, of things going well than if if we just kind of try to do it on our own. Yeah, and that actually leads really well into my next question, which is, what is the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Um, I I try to connect people who I think that it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And now that I've got to meet a lot of I think really cool people um who are doing extraordinary things if if there is a good like this just happened with i got a text earlier from two different basketball coaches in fact and and they didn't know each other and i knew them separately and i connected them and both of them separately text me like man it was so awesome to have that conversation in fact that was our second one and our third one's going to be next week like how fun is that man like when you can be the broker of those types of relationships that build outside and beyond you I tr I try to do that when I can to think of a way not not if someone's like hey I need to talk to that guy can you get me in that room not that type of thing I'm talking neither of them are asking for it but I view it and say you know what they should probably know each other I think they both would be better off if they were in each other's lives those types of connections I think where you're not you're not looking for anything in return other than just to help each of those people those I I try to do that when I can um and and it's it's just really cool to see when when it goes well yeah no i love that and it's the abundance thinking in action right it's the yeah. connection and the growth and not expecting anything in return the energy that you can send through the ether in that experience is phenomenal and ryan my goodness this has been an amazing conversation i really appreciate you taking time and spending time and sharing your wisdom with elevate nation today is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share before we wrap up for the day uh, have a bias for action, read books, focus on your who. Those are the main things I would, I would think about. Um, the, the, you know, it's important to think and be reflective, but uh, it's equally important to go out and actually make it happen. So have an experimental mindset um, and have a bias for action. The people who seem to leave a debt in the world are the ones who, who are out there willing to go for it. And uh, that's what I would, I guess, a lasting piece of, 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 I guess, uh, unsolicited advice for those who aren't asking, but uh, they're listening. So uh, that's what I would say.
Yes, I love it, my friend. Well, uh, having that unsolicited bias for action there. So that's <laughs> that's where I'm at. And uh, what a great reminder for all of us. And I think that this conversation is so actionable. But Ryan, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and what you do. Uh, podcast is called The Learning Leader Show. Learningleader.com is where the, whole, the home base for everything. So um, six years, 400 plus episodes. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do. Uh, long form conversations. Uh, that go into some depth and wide variety of people I'm curious about. And I try to follow that curiosity and, and ask good questions and even better follow-up questions. And hopefully that leads to, to some usefulness for people who are listening. Well, Ryan, you know, there's there's not a lot of people who understand how much commitment is required in podcasting and being 460, however many episodes you're in now. I mean, you've got to be acknowledged for that. You've got to be acknowledged for your commitment not only to excellence, but also to learning in public, my friend, learning mm -hmm. in public on the podcast and being willing to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be curious, and to let your mind take you in a direction that you hadn't anticipated going. And uh, I know that this conversation exceeded my expectations in so many different ways, even though I had high expectations. <laughs> and so I just want to acknowledge you and let you know that I appreciate you so much. And I want to let Elevate Nation know that you've got to re-listen to the show because there's so much value here. There's so much gold. There's so much that you can take action on immediately. And I want to encourage you to not only capture your thinking, as we mentioned on a daily basis, but what are the top three takeaways that you've taken away from this show? What can you do to apply those today? And how can you connect those ideas to someone else that you care about with any, without any expectation for anything in return? Because you know what? Giving is better than receiving. And being the teacher is a beautiful thing, as we talked about earlier in this, in this podcast and in this episode. So with all that said, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. Ryan, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thanks, Tyler. Good to be with you, man. Absolutely. Elevate Nation, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.